welcome to a brand new series of Rich Chang's Less Square Theatre Podcast. It's like we never went away. Um, it's series 13 and uh, episode one is with Kathy Burke. This is going to be an audio only podcast. So if you're watching on video, this will soon just go to audio. It's just the way it is for this show. Uh, and uh, we like to give you something for nothing. Uh, and help you pay for our show without having to pay us any money. You can uh, become a dripster at d.rip slash Richard hyphen herring, or you can become a badger at gofasterstripe.com slash badges. But if you don't want to give us money and get something for free, then do that bulb thing, remember that, with the electricity and the gas and all that? That's very good, do that. Or you can uh, get a free case of craft beers. This one's called Cress. Cress, Cress, lovely, lovely Cress. I can't believe I'm doing that for real. Uh, this is um, uh, our friends at Beer 52 who have given us this offer where you can get a free case of eight craft beers. All you have to do is pay $5.95 for the delivery and you get a magazine. I mean, who cares? Uh, and you get some like little nuts, one pack of nuts. So you've got you've to eat those drink the beers pretty quickly if you want to go with those yeah it's a, uh, a monthly beer club that delivers eight craft beers uh, this ferment magazine which is award-winning who knew and a tasty snack is all right the snack uh, and you can compare and contrast these eight delicious beers with the help of tasting guides in that 100-page Ferment magazine. Ferment magazine, I suppose it should be called. Uh, if you don't like dark beers, I do like dark beers, though. You can tailor the box to your own preferences. You can also rate and review all the beers you've collected on their website, or you can just sign up and then fuck off. Uh, and I'll get £5 for everyone who does that. Uh, so go to www.beer52.com slash Rahulastapa, R-H-L-S-T-P, Rahulastapa, and claim your free case today. One per household, new customers only. After your trial case, you'll be a fully-fledged member and be charged £24 for eight beers, magazine and snack, with free delivery every 28 days. You're under no commitment and free to pause slash cancel any time. Full terms at beer52.com slash terms. We'll give it a go, see how it goes. They're very nice beers, and one of them's called Cress in this week, so, you know... That's a good sign. I love cruciferous vegetables, as you know, and uh, cress is one of my favourites. They're not, you know, they're not, they're, some of them are nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man whose house is trying to kill him. It's Richard Herring! Hiya! Oh, I don't have a... Oh, I was going to pick up my microphone. I don't need to pick it up. I've got, we've got new microphones. About that. Let's, well, let's see if you're cheering in 20 minutes time when everything goes wrong. We have to start again. Uh, welcome, uh, to, thanks so much for coming along. This is the first podcast in uh, series 13, unlucky for some, of Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. But I was hanging out with um, some of the fans of Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle. They're so, oh, man. Those guys, they're so with it. They really know what good comedy is about, those guys. <laughs> They know, what, they know about comedy. As long as it's explained to them what the joke is, they're, they're fine. If you don't explain it, they can't understand why it's clever. But if you tell them it's clever, it's... Then they go, oh, I'm clever for liking this, I guess. They call it Rahula Stubber, so I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, so, uh, lots of new things. Look, we've got new chairs. If you, uh, if you gave money to the Kickstarter, that's where, that's where the cash has gone. The other ones were falling apart, to be honest. And uh, I think Chris Evans, not that one, said he saw them using... We, we ordered these, and then they were on Newsnight or something like that as well. So, I mean, I don't think it's the same ones. They're not like showbiz chairs that go around <laughs> working out. But they're nice, aren't they? All right, they've got little buttons on them, different colours. You want me to see that when we're sitting down? Uh, and uh, I've got a new, uh, a new question book. Ooh, it's uh, Star Wars-themed. That's what... Yeah, it's a Wookiee. It's a Wookiee. It's a Wookiee. That's probably what a Wookiee wears, isn't it? A sash, Wookiee sash. And it's got, like, a bookmark on it as well. I'm 50 years old. Uh, what's, what's, it's a stormtrooper on there. So someone will get this. We, we gave away the last one to the winner of the, the end-of-year monthly badger dripster competition. So if you want to... We give away loads of stuff. You get uh, loads of extras uh, and help pay for the show. If you go to those things, you know the way. You know the drill by now. So the stuff I've been up to uh, since we stopped doing this, it feels like only yesterday. But, yeah, we moved into our house, which ha has been trying to kill us. There's lots of things that have happened. We've had two incidents with carbon monoxide in the house. Get a carbon monoxide alarm. I, I had one by chance, and it saved our lives twice. Uh, it's bad, you know, to be poisoned by carbon monoxide once is unfortunate. <laughs> so good, it's a little, it's a good little Oscar Wilde thing that'll come back later. So, um, 
uh, and uh, the electricity or some of the oven exploded the other day and all the electricity went off on Christmas Eve uh, or Christmas Day somewhere between those two someone crashed into the wall outside our house and knocked it down and then drove off again that was not, it could have been Father Christmas though so that is uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure our house is a, it's from the 18th uh, yeah 18th century uh, I'm pretty sure it's haunted by the ghost of a dead baby because uh, I, I keep on hearing a baby crying like I, we have a baby and I'm never in the same room as the baby when the baby is crying but when I go into the room the baby isn't crying so I think a dead baby is haunting us and I think the dead baby is trying to kill us all I think it'd be more efficient at murder given it's dead already knows how to do it uh, anyway so it's all, it's all happening there get a carbon monoxide alarm if you smell carbon monoxide you're amazing because it's odourless uh, and uh, <laughs> Ring 0800 111 I think they were amazing. Those guys are the only good uh, people I've met this year in, in terms of... So everything else has gone wrong, but they've been, they've, they've been nice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, there's, uh, people have noticed this. This is going to be fairly topical. This one's I can mention the news. Uh, Piers Morgan and Donald Trump, that picture's been going around. Two-thirds of the, the human, uh, human centipede. So it's... Uh, <laughs> You can only go at one end, though. That's the problem. Which end would you go if you were going to be in that? And who would you put there? No one, no one deserves that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, Brexit. I just sort of realise all the papers have been going like, this is the mandate from 17.1 million people. But it isn't, is it? Because it they're ignoring the 16.3 million people who voted against it. So it's a mandate from... Only the people that made the difference. It's about 650,000 people. If they'd voted the other way, it would, have, it would have gone the other way. And I think everyone would admit 1% of the people in this country are fucking idiots. Uh, <laughs> even the fucking idiots would think that because they don't know they are fucking idiots. That's the thing with being a fucking idiot. You don't know. And so it's a mandate from the fucking idiots. Like, I don't care if you like Brexit, that's fine. If you didn't, if you liked, uh, if you hated Brexit, that's fine. It's all the people who just kept changing their minds every day. And they're, they're the reason this is all going ahead. Uh, I said this on Twitch, it got a similar response to that. So um, we're going <laughs> to put more, fuck off, you lost, you loser, move on. I hate you, you lever files, leave me alone. So um, they've got too cool a name. Lever files, that's better. All right, we'll move on. Uh, so my guest tonight uh, is probably best known for her non-speaking role in a public information film about heroin addiction. <laughs> Citation needed. <laughs> it's Kathy Burke, ladies and gentlemen, I'm hoping. <laughs> Sit down, thank you very much. You're christening my chair. That is the first bum that has been on my chair. It's the first celebrity bum that's been on that chair. Love it. It's very yeah. bright, isn't it? <laughs> it's very bright. I've got to get used to it. It'll be fine. We've got, we've got time. Uh, if you fancy having a, a Cress beer at any point, just let me know. Nah. Lovely, lovely Cress. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got loads of free ones. It's nice. Um, and that's all we're going to get, probably, I would have thought. Uh, anyway, um, what, could, this is on Wikipedia. Is it? That you were, as, as a... Child actor, you're in a non-speaking role in a public information film about heroin addiction. Is that true or not? Well, I wasn't a child actor. Okay. I was probably about 20. That's, that's <laughs> So, yeah. And, uh, yes, it was. Um, God, blimey. Yeah, it was just lots of black and white shots of us wandering around. Yeah. Just looking very depressed. And I mean, I, I just thought it was ridiculous for me because I've always been a fatty and I just thought... <laughs> <laughs> I look like I'd buy chips if I had money, not heroin. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I was a little bit sort of thrown that I, I got the job. But my other non-speaking role uh, around about that age as well, which is never credited, people don't realise, anyone that can remember, you know, people mine and Rich's age, you know, over 50 or whatever, there was a brilliant... It always wins, like, the awards. It's always in the top ten of the best advertisements ever. Right. And it was an advert for The Guardian, which was about look at things from this point of view oh, yeah. and you see a skinhead running down the road and you think he's going to attack a geezer but what he's actually doing is saving the man from falling scaffold and I was witness in doorways <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very proud because it's the only advert I've ever done yeah. and it's award winning yeah. and uh, yeah it was great and it was all down to that witness it was, it was all well did you have to pull a face of oh I don't like skinheads no it was a really quick like shot of me like the guy running past and then the skinhead running past 
and, no, it's uh, my fault. Is that you? It's what me, you it's my fault. I've got to put that down there. I keep forgetting. Mine's in my pocket. Yes, right. That that's right? okay. It's, it's, it's my fault. I told him I wouldn't remember to take it out of my pocket, and I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that matters. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, I ruined your anecdote with. Uh, but that's that's quite right. good. If you get boring, I'll just start fiddling with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. Or if I. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, <laughs> anyway, Wikipedia, you can now link to this uh, podcast and you don't need to put citation needed anymore, as long as you trust Kathy Burke uh, to not lie about that. She might, might be true. Uh, you, uh, your career is absolutely incredible. And, you know, until I really sat down and looked at it all, it hadn't quite struck me to the extent that was the case. But you've sort of done... You've played the Mona Lisa twice, which yeah. I can't think many people have played the Mona Lisa once. you played Mona Lisa in Psycho Bitches and A Word in Your Era. A Word in Your Era, that's yeah. right. That was with... Um, oh, what was his name? Fellow with a beard. <laughs> Jeremy Beadle? No. You work our way through. Jesus? Rory, what's his name? Rory McGrath. Rory McGrath, oh. that's it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that was... Where was that? That was some long-forgotten piece of shit yeah. that we all did. <laughs> and, um, yes, and then again in Psycho Bitches for yeah. lovely genius Jeremy Dyson. Yes. Um, yeah. Why, do you think there's a reason you played the Mona Lisa twice? Or is it just a coincidence? A cra- I mean, it's not sort of really an... You know, it's a still picture, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, uh, the one with Jeremy Dyson, I, I, I wrote that sketch and basically she didn't say anything. Right. So poor Rebecca Front had to do all the chat, you know, and, um, yeah, I don't know, it was just easy. I just wanted to do something where I didn't have to say any lines. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was the easy option, That's really. kind of most right. Most people who write their own thing make sure they get all the lines. Oh, no, no. I never do that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be out by four. You've played the Virgin Mary. You've played... The non-Virgin Mary. You've played the Queen Mother, apparently. Yes, I've played the Queen Mother, yeah. You were Lazar in Doctor Who, though uncredited. I was not. Okay. I've had a few people on Twitter oh, tweet me okay. about that. Hang on, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I've had a few people on um, <coughs> Twitter tweeting me. I do look a little bit like this person oh, that was okay. a sort of extra in an episode of Doctor Who way back. But sadly, it wasn't me. Oh. And I wasn't the little fat girl in Grain Jill either. <laughs> well, the one who said Roland, I didn't think you were. Roland, no. <laughs> no, I wasn't her. <laughs> no, it's, it's, so all those things are amazing. You were in Educating Marmalade, which is a, a, an amazing series. Do you remember being in Educating Marmalade or were you not in that either? I do remember being in Educating Marmalade. And you know what was really interesting about doing Educating Marmalade for me? The brilliant Roy Kinnear was on that. Oh, was Do you remember he? Roy Kinnear? Yeah. So Roy Kinnear was... Uh, Rory Kinnear is a very famous actor now, very serious national theatre actor. But his dad, Roy Kinnear, was like just a comedy hero for so many people. Little round fatty, just gorgeous. <laughs> Always brilliant in everything he did. And he was in Educating Marmalade. And um, I was... It was about... It was sort of my first television job, I think. So I was about 18. Right. Anyway, we were in the canteen one day and there was a fella who... Now, when you're 18, a 30-year-old is like an 80-year-old. And so this 30-year-old was being a little bit out of order and talking to me and another of the other couple of girls, asking us if we were virgins, all the rest of it. And I'll never forget about Roy Kinnear, and especially now in these days of Me Too and all this business, Roy Kinnear came up to me very quietly and said, ignore that man. He's an arsehole, <laughs> doesn't know what he's talking about, don't get swept in to what he's saying. Yeah. Because, you know, he was quite a good-looking dude and he was ch- sort of being... But yeah. he was just being a dirty old geezer, really. Yeah, <laughs> but lovely Roy Kinnear was very much looking after us, yeah. oh, you know, nice, which was very nice. Anyway, that was Educating Marmalade, yeah. yeah, which was great. And the guy that directed that... Oh, what's his fucking name? I can't remember. Um, Colin, I can't remember. Colin Buckley. I did it. I ended up doing a couple of jobs with him. I did another television thing that um, Donald Pleasance was in, and I did something else with him. And then he went to America, and I said, "Why are you going to America? You're the only person employing me. Don't go to America." <laughs> and he was like, "No, no, no. I want to go to America. I want to do better things. You know, I want to get out of this climate and all that." And he's directed Breaking Bad. Oh. He's directed. Uh, 
what was the last really big thing that we all got into? And he directed some of them. Uh, what was What did we, what did we what get was into? It? What was the thing? We all got in. We, we, we did The Wire, didn't we? <laughs> the we, Wire. We, we liked that. Then we, then we all watched Breaking Bad, yeah. and we, we really liked that. Um, but, but we, you know, it's debatable. Are they as great as The Sopranos? Whatever. But what was it? What was the one recent? There was another one. Westworld. Westworld. Stranger Things. No, he didn't do Stranger Things, but Stranger Things was brilliant. I did see. <laughs> I did see Westworld. House of Cards. No, I didn't watch that. I, I've always been allergic to Spacey. <laughs> Funny that. Couldn't watch it. Couldn't watch it. Aye. No, I've not watched that. Aye. <laughs> what? Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. That could be it. Oh, see, I didn't watch that. Either. Oh, okay. I've taped that. <laughs> you taped that. But anyway, he was inside. He got an award. He was brilliant. Fargo. Oh. The one in the snow. The one in the snow. That was genius. And he got an Emmy for that. And he's about seventy odd now. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And Andrew Davis wrote Educating Marmalade. Is that right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah I slagged him off a couple of times. <laughs> I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, it was an amazing show. Charlotte Coleman was amazing. She was. It? She was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Sadly, she she died much too young. She did. She, she did. was fantastic. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot I could talk to you about. Let's talk about your Twitter feed. For what I quite what I think. You're very successful, but everyone loves you, Cathy, and that is quite a trick Not everyone. Because right. <laughs> you see my Twitter feed, but I see my notifications. Okay. <laughs> I'm told, you know, once every couple of months. Twitter's really weird, because Sunday, it's like, it's like Sunday drivers. Yeah. You get Sunday racists. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking all come out on a Sunday, those yeah. bastards. Oh, they love it, you fat. Cunt, you fucking dog. Look at you, you fucking black-loving bitch. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm, it's just great. It's nice to have a bit of attention. <laughs> Do you ever... They, they usually don't have their picture in their own avatars, those no, guys, they? No, they're, weirdly... they're probably... Well, there's a great new Twitter account called Racist Pets. Oh, that brings joy to my heart. And it's just whoever this person is just finds the most horrible racist people that have their pets as their profile <laughs> pictures. <laughs> so you've got these horrible abusive things about Muslim and it's a little poodle. <laughs> it's just fantastic. That's one of my new favourite Twitter accounts. Well, the, my favourite of your Twitter, your, and it's very worth following your, your Twitter account, but your, my, your favorite, my favourite of your recent tweets was to Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah, he's my favourite. Yeah. When Boris, <laughs> Boris Johnson had been defensive of Toby Young. Oh, he's mate, yeah. yeah. And you just tweeted back to Boris Johnson, he's a cunt and so are you. <laughs> He didn't respond. <laughs> but My DMs are always open. <laughs> but you should, you, would you consider going into politics? I think people would like you in, you in politics. That kind of honesty. No way, Jose, you know. No, I think we've got, we've got some all right people doing their best, yeah. I think. But um, no, absolutely not. I think most of them are just an entitled bunch of arseholes and I really wouldn't want to have to sit in the same canteen as them. <laughs> no, I, think, I, think you, I think you and Stephen Fry together could run the country. That's what I think that would we'd cover all bases. He'd be the posh bit. Yeah. He'd, he'd be eloquent in the put-downs and I'd just go, what Stephen means is you're a <laughs> <laughs> Like Baldrick and Blackadder would yeah. be, you know. <laughs> It's a bit, a bit like Tony Blair and John Pres Prescott, really, yes. isn't it? So, <laughs> that, that worked all right for a while. Um, and there's the famous uh, Helena Bonham Carter thing as well that you... Oh, but well, that's very old now. Yeah. That was a long, long time ago, so... Yeah. Have, you, have, you, have you bumped into her along the way? We bumped into each other very soon after I expressed my feelings about her way back when in uh, Time Out, not realising that the two of us would be up for the same BAFTA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally within three months, right. you know, I had no clue. Anyway, it was fine. She was all right. We had a big chat and, um, you know, and I just said to her, look, you're in a very privileged position. Um, you do a lot of work and you, if you're complaining about the sort of parts you're getting, employ somebody to write you better parts. Yeah. And um, she didn't, what she did was marry somebody to write better parts. <laughs> but, you know, that's still good, you know. 
and I've actually got a lot of respect for her, actually. I, yeah. I sort of think, I think she's a fantastic actress. It's just way back then, this is before social media, you know, not everybody had a voice. And Helena back then, this is like 25 years ago, she had a voice. Yeah. So she was being interviewed a lot and she was sort of our representative, you know, actors of our age group. And it was sort of a bit, you're not, you're not, Speaking well, you know, you're yeah. you're 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 getting things a bit arse over to it, and um, but she was lovely, she was gracious, and we had a lovely chat. And uh, I do remember she said to me at one point, you know, some of the papers are comparing us to Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, as long as we we remember that I'm Bet, I'll be all right, you know. But no, good, good, good on her. I've not got a bad word to say about yeah. her anymore, actually. But it, it was sort of ahead of its time, that discussion, in that I think now, like, there's a lot more posh people have come into acting, right? So it is now much harder for working-class people to get anywhere in acting. Is that... Well, I, think it, I, I do think it's harder just in terms of how much money it costs to yeah. go to drama school and places like that. You don't necessarily have to go to drama school, but it really helps. It really helps. But some people just can't afford it. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are aware that you even have to pay to audition. Right. And if you don't get into the drama school, it's not like a deposit. You don't get your money back, <laughs> you know? So, so it is quite tough. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to probably live in London, really, to have a realistic chance, maybe Manchester. I suppose. Well, Manchester's got a good... Manchester University's got a great drama yeah. department there. And, um, yes, I don't know, really. Um, I just think there's, there should be room for everybody. Sure. I've got lots of posh friends, and I adore them all as much as I adore my oiky friends. <laughs> and, um, and I just want everybody to have an equal playing field. You know, when I was starting out, I mean, I went to further education college and did drama, and I got a grant. You know, I got paid to, to be further educated, and it was just fantastic. Yeah. You know, I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Spent all the money. You know. <laughs> Go to gigs, saw got money for gigs, you know. I was just sort of obsessed with music then, so... Yeah. Um, but, no, I was very lucky. It's very different now. Yeah. And so how did you get started? Was it, was it something at school kind of encouraged you? Yeah, it? it was a teacher at school. Because there's a very famous place called the Anna Share Theatre, which was like a workshop place that you go to after school. People think, some people are, think it's like an Italia Conte place, but it wasn't at all. You paid 50p for a lesson, and, and it's a waiting list system, so you didn't even have to audition. But it was very popular, so you had to wait for three years, really, to get in. And a teacher told me about the place when I was 13. He went, you live in Islington. This place is in Islington. And... Um, and I finally got in two weeks before my 16th birthday. And my life changed. It was like... I mean, you hear people say, I felt like I came home. But, but in a weird way, it sort of was. And, uh, you know, you're there for ages before she asks you to get up and do anything. So, because one of her first... The first rules is be a good audience. Yeah. So you have to sit there for at least three months <laughs> being a good audience. And if you get fed up and think, well, she's never using me, and you go, then you'll never know whether yeah. you, know, you had the skills or not. But I was very happy to be a good audience. I was very happy not to say anything because I was terrified. And, um, but I remember after the first lesson, I came home and I went straight to bed. And it was 8 o'clock in the evening. And I slept all the way through the night. And I had terrible insomnia all my life. And I just think it was just sheer exhilaration. And, fuck, <laughs> this, is, oh, this is what I want to do, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just joyous, joyous yeah. place. That's fantastic. It's, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I find you're, it's fascinating to see... Um, the, the breadth of stuff you've done because people, you know, as actors get pigeonholed but, oh, and you get pigeonholed as an actor and lots of people don't like people saying, oh, I'm an actor, I'm going to try some writing and try some directing. You've done all of that but even as an actor, the, the range of stuff you've done is, is insane, really. Even, even if you've just done your comedy stuff, you've done very broad comedy, like maybe mm. Gimme, Gimme, Gimme is quite, you know, it's caricature stuff but you've done very sophisticated... Yeah, I thought that was a bit more Ken Loach. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, but you can work... I mean, the fact you can do Gimme, Gimme, Gimme and Nil by Mouth and be 
you know, and, and both are e- equally loved and equally uh, believable. Mm. You know, that's that's most actors don't get that opportunity. No. Once they've done something very successful, because you did stuff that was very successful, and then you were still able to go to this next thing that was nothing like the last thing you did. Yeah. I, I, I mean, a lot of it is down to luck. It is down to luck. It's sort of who you meet, who you know, who sees you work. You know, I ended up in the Ari Enfield show because Paul Whitehouse had seen me do a couple of fringe theatre plays. Um, and um, it was Paul that said to Harry Enfield, we should, you know, you should meet this, this girl, we should get this girl in. And... Um, and it's because Paul's a very sophisticated person who goes to the theatre. Um, so, you know, so that was lucky. My very first job was a film called Scrubbers. And, um, and it was set in a girl's ball stool, you know. And, um, but that director was a Swedish woman called Mai Zetling, who used to be an actress herself in the 50s. Then became a documentary filmmaker and then wanted to do a drama film. And... I was just really lucky. She took me under her wing. She really liked me. She saw some sort of potential. And she just said, you have got to really work hard. She said, I'm telling you now. I was 17 and she was really on my case. And she went, you've got to write, you've got to direct. Otherwise, you'll be, what did she used to call me? Because she was Swedish. You'll be little dolly drop in the corner, just being a clown. And I was like 17, I was like, well, I want to be Dolly Dropping. <laughs> I'll do it. Oh, I want to be that, you know? But she really drummed it into me. She said, you've got to do other things. Otherwise, it will be stagnant, you know? Yeah. And you've got to just, you know, go for it. And it went in my ear and it stayed in there. And I just always had her in my head. Mm. And... Um, and also when I was getting a bit, oh, you know, then into my 20s and I was becoming a jobbing actress, um, it was a bit like, oh, this is driving me mad, sitting around waiting for work. I didn't like it. I've always been a grafter. I've earned my own money from about the age of 14, doing Saturday jobs, evening jobs, everything. I, I, I like my own, sh- you know, shrapnel in my pocket. And, um, and I, I just hated the sitting around waiting for stuff. So, so I just got involved then. I got involved in the Old Red Lion Theatre and uh, Robert Pugh is quite a well-known Welsh actor and he was writing and directing Fringe stuff. Philip Davis, that actor, he was writing and directing. And it was Philip Davis that said to me, because I, I went to see a play, the first play I went to see off my own back at the Old Red Lion was written and directed by Phil Davis. And, um, and I said, can I talk to you afterwards? And he went, yeah. And I said, I didn't realise that you could write and direct and act. And he said, and he looked at me and he went to me, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) And it was just fantastic advice. So it never crossed my mind that I shouldn't be doing it because Phil Davis said I should, Robert Pugh (laughs) said I should, Mike Zettlin said I should. All these people were telling me, this is what you should do. Yeah. So I did. So you wrote and directed your first play when you were 22-ish or something like that? No, 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 I was older than that. I was... Well, I wrote the play when I was 22. Right. um, And then I finally sort of had the courage to put it on and direct it when I was about 25, 26, something like that. Still very young to... I suppose, you know, it's a bit precocious, I suppose, but not really, you know. um, and And I wasn't in it. I didn't write apart from myself. Because I wanted people to see that I understood other characters rather than little fat girls from fucking Islington, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know how to develop other characters, I know. And it really worked, because Mike Lee came and saw the play. Right. And Mike Lee, he's a, he's a very honest person, Mike Lee. And he said, you know, I wasn't interested in you. You know, loads of people telling me, oh, you'd like her, that's happy bird, but I weren't interested. And he said, but then, but then I saw you play. <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah, so I'm not just going to go, fuck off, you bastard, you know, improvising. And, you know, so I ended up doing a play with him, yeah. which was great. Um, so, yeah, just right. luck and cheek. You know, I've got chutzpah, man. I've got, you know, get yeah, up and go. And... No, but all those different things. Well, I think what I love about the stuff with you and Harry is mm. you, you're actually quite different styles of performers, but it really gels and works together. Harry sort of has that comedic insult, instinct to play to the camera almost, you know. Even when he's doing a sketch, he's still got a little twinkle in his eye. Yeah, and yeah. you can still see him. So in Kevin and Perry, he's still a little bit Harry Enfield, but mm. you're, you inhabit that character. 
Yes, I was Perry. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an extraordinary, strong... I mean, without Perry, you know, just the... If it was just the Kevin character, it'd be a funny sketch. Right. But Perry gives it its kind of heart, do you think? Yeah, the heart, yeah. What I love about it, what I think is really reminds me of all the kids at school, is just you're quite a hard, naughty kid, but then when when you're with Kevin's mum... Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing that makes that character so lovely, I think. But that was down to Harry and Paul and their great writing, you know? They were just great. I'd I'd chuck in a few ideas. Um, Like, we've got quite a famous sketch that people still use on Twitter as a little gif, is when Perry comes back from Manchester and, (laughs) you know, thinks he's Liam Gallagher. But... (laughs) But that came from me telling Paul about... <laughs> I used to go to Manchester when I was a kid. Yeah. I used to go to Manchester and Wigan. I'd always come back to something like that. Can I have gravy? <laughs> you got gravy on the chips. And, um, and, and uh, Paul was like, that's brilliant. He said, we should have Perry going at Man- I mean, straight away, yeah. you know. Perry should come back from Manchester and he fixes Liam Gallagher. <laughs> so, it's lovely. A lot of it always comes from truth, you know. Yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. And so that went on to, obviously, the, the, the big movie of Kevin, Kevin and Perry. Yeah, which was a big hit, actually, yeah. wasn't it, looking yeah. back? It really was a big hit. And not many, not many sketch characters would, could you take and put in a... In no, a but it so worked for yeah. Ibiza and all that. And, jeez, I mean, it was a nightmare to film, really. Because everyone, all the extras are all off their fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they're either, they were either off their heads on ecstasy or they were coming down from ecstasy. <laughs> you know, there's like bodies on the floor. You're sort of doing close-ups and, and it is like eight o'clock in the morning and pretending to be, you know, two o'clock in the middle of the night and just bodies everywhere. It just, <laughs> but it, it was really good fun. But it was, it was manic. <laughs> you got no, is there going to be a sequel to the film? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? I we, mean, the crankies are still going, oh, aren't they? Well, yeah. <laughs> They're unique. <laughs> They're unique. They've got their own thing going on, you know. Um, but, no, no. I couldn't do Little Perry anymore. What a shame. But I did love him. He was one of my favourite characters to do, yeah. ever, really. Excuse me, I loved him. Yeah. I used to love when we film at the BBC and you'd be hanging around because the boys would be filming all the sketches and I'd do, you know, the slobs or Perry and, and sometimes the wobbly, roundy old ladies, which I really loved doing as well. <laughs> but most of the time I was just sort of sitting around in White City, so it was great just wandering around as Perry and I'd knock on dressing room doors. Can I come in? <laughs> <laughs> and the best one was uh, the Manic Street Preachers because they were doing Top of the Pots. And I was like, oh, Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> Can I come in, please? <laughs> I don't give blowjobs. <laughs> so that was great, you know, to meet all these people. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's talk, with Neil by Mouth, you won um, the Palm Door as Best Actress in Cannes. Yes. And you... <laughs> but you weren't going to go. You didn't think. Don't you... clap. It's not America. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't going to go to the ceremony. No, I wasn't going to go because I was working. <laughs> I was working. I was filming um, Tom Jones for the BBC, and um, yeah, so I, I was home. I had the Sunday off, and I had the Monday off, so I was just home. I feel it was about. I feel I skinned up at nine. <laughs> just like this is all right, you know. Got nothing to do for a couple of days. <laughs> And, um, and then I got a phone call from Gary Oldman saying, you've got to come out here. <laughs> Why? And he said, because they're, they're telling me, because you're not here, they're telling me you've got best actress, you've got to get out here. And I was like, well, I can't. I, I've not got a passport. I'm not, I'm not ready to, you know, I'm at home. I've just skinned up. I'm just, you know. <laughs> so it was all a bit shit-scrambled bollocks. And... Uh, <laughs> And you couldn't do it nowadays, unfortunately, but I got to France without a passport on a private jet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. But I didn't like flying, so I was sort of shitting a brick a bit. And then uh, when we got, we got somewhere, and I thought, oh, great, we're here. And then this bird came up to me and said, OK, come on, we got helicopter now, helicopter. I went, I'm not getting in a fucking helicopter. So <laughs> no, you know, you've got to get in helicopter. I was literally shoved in by the arse into this helicopter, you know. But it was... Absolutely amazing. It yeah. was incredible. And um, my, an old pal of mine, David Fulis, the actor David Fulis, and 
he'd only rang me that morning because he'd seen Neil by Mouth the night before and he went, oh, I've just seen Neil by Mouth, bloody hell. Guy makes naked look like the magic fucking roundabout. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and he's backstage and the next thing, he sees me getting out of a car and walking up the, what's it, up the steps. <laughs> what's he doing here? What's she doing here? And, and uh, he was presenting an award and, and he wanted to change because he then realised why I was there. Yeah. And, but, um, but it was great to sort of share that night with him and, and Gary, of course, and, uh, yeah, big old gang. But I was back home the next day and then, and then back up in Derby or somewhere on the Tuesday film. <laughs> so, yeah, it was all right. It was mad, but it was a great, yeah. great thing to happen, yeah. <laughs> going, not, not, was it, were you not tempted to go to Cannes when, you, when the film was being Well, no, because I, I was working. Yeah, but you could say, you had the Sunday off, you could have gone for a day. No, 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 yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, if I've got a day off, I, I want a day off, you know. <laughs> um, I've never been one for all that anyway. I don't, I don't go to premieres, I don't, I've never been to any of my... Well, I went to the Kevin and Perry premiere, I did that, um, begrudgingly. And... Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I get really embarrassed. I, I, I get really shy. I don't like all the photographs. I don't, I just don't like it. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. So I just try and avoid things that make me feel uncomfortable. Sure. So, well, this has been very nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk, we'll, let, we'll talk about the, 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 mm -hmm. your current directing job, which is, sounds like a, a lovely job with working with... Oh, yeah, with, uh, got to do a bit of promoting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is going out this week, so, you know, people can still get tickets. Oh, this. yeah. So, so Lady Windermere's fan by Oscar Wilde, so that's on at the Vaudeville up the road, and it's on until April the 7th. And you can get deals. West End tickets <laughs> are quite expensive, but you can get deals. And I'm delighted to say it's going down a storm yeah. and people are loving it. Got Jennifer Saunders in it, which was like a miracle because um, she's not done a play for 25 years. So it was great to get her. And um, Samantha Spiro, Kevin Bishop. I've got a great new young actress called Grace Maloney, who's like amazing. And it's only her second job. And she's Lady Windermere. So she's carrying the old show. Right. And uh, a lovely guy called Joshua James. Joe Marcel who I only know Joe myself from The Globe and seeing him play King Lear, but a lot of the younger actors were so excited because apparently he was Geoffrey in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> 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 Which I, no, everyone's clapping now as well. <laughs> Me, not a clue, not a clue. <laughs> Just, uh, and what a delightful man. So he does, he's our eldest company member. Right. And our youngest company member is uh, a chick called Amy Metcalf, who's only 21. I did a sort of autobiographical thing for Sky a few years ago called Walking and Talking. Yeah. And Amy played me. Right. And uh, she was just great and a darling, darling little girl to work with. So when I got Lady Windermere's fan, the first thing I said to my producer, Dominic, was, right, I want Amy Metcalf to play Lady Agatha. And he was like, okay, don't you worry about the lead roles before we worry about the smaller parts. <laughs> and I went, I don't care who else is in it. I want Amy Metcalf in it, because she's not done a theatre job yet. And she's just a darling, and everyone adores her. And It's all one of those rare things. It's, it's a really good company. And yeah. they all, everyone says, oh, everyone loves each other. After time, that is crap. <laughs> you know, people can't fucking stand each other a lot of the time. And... Um, but on this, I'm so proud because they really adore each other and look out for each other and, you know, it's, it's really pleasing to sort of set up a working environment. Art doesn't have to be torture, doesn't all have to be about being bastards to each other. You can create lovely stuff with a beautiful atmosphere sure. and really nice long lunch breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and was it a play that you wanted to direct or did someone come saying, oh, we, we want you to direct this play? No, Dominic John Gould came to me and asked me. And to be perfectly honest, there was a different director lined up, but he left for some reason. Right. And so basically Dominic was like, fuck, what am I going to do? <laughs> and um, I, I, just, I was getting ready to direct a play written by Sam Bain, yeah. who wrote Peep Show. And I did that at the Park Theatre and uh, with three great actors, including Adam Deacon, 
who hadn't done a job since he'd been sectioned two and a half years ago. <laughs> so it was really lovely to help him yeah. come back, you know, right. and he's a darling person and a brilliant actor. So Dominic just thought Cass going to be tied up doing the part play, but he rang me up just in case. And I said, well, yes, if I can cast Lady Windermere before I go into rehearsals for the park, then it's doable. Right. So we made it happen, and thank God, because I've loved every single moment of it. Yeah. How much do you go to see it once you, when you're directing something? Do you, do you just leave it to... Leave yeah, it? you're meant to just sort of leave it, you know, pop back and stuff like that. I had a great assistant called Matt Harrison, great guy from Wigan. Oh, I'll look after your calf, you know what I mean? He was brilliant. <laughs> and um, um, not Wigan... Whitby. <laughs> Fucking hell, I've got Wigan on the brain, me. Whitby. And, um, but Matt will go back or I'll go back. So I went to the first Saturday matinee after press night. And then I'll probably go again maybe next week or the week after. It's sort of good to have a break from it. Yeah. And then you can sort of see if things are going awry. Whereas when you're watching it constantly, constantly, it's very difficult to sort of... You know, you can't really see what's going on a lot of the time. Um, but it is, it is good to have a break. But I, 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 I want to go back because I like them all. And I'm going to pop in and see them all tomorrow because right. I'm going to see a, another play tomorrow night. So I'll go in and say hello to them all, you cool. know. And what was, what was behind you? Because you sort of haven't left acting behind entirely, but you've, you've, obviously you were getting to this point where you are in lots of movies and winning awards and then you decided to go over more into directing yeah well I'd always directed I'd always like you know as we said earlier so I've been directing assistant directing since my 20s you know and um, and what was happening I got it was lovely I suddenly got very successful and suddenly I was a movie actress I was like all right. And um, because suddenly you're on the list you know and you get seen for movies you even get seen for movies that you're not right for but you're the name and you might help make the movie make money. Do you know what I mean? So it's all a little bit twisted and a bit weird. And I'd been in total control of my career up until that point. Right. And suddenly I sort of wasn't in control anymore. I had to, if I, if I, audition, if I sort of screen tested or auditioned and I got the part, I had to accept it. It was, all, it was sort of really weird. And, uh, and I just didn't like it. And I was getting more and more miserable. I was getting really depressed. And I thought, this is weird, because I should be happier and happier. But I wasn't, because I was losing control. Yeah. And I am a bit of a control freak. And um, uh, so, anyway, and, and what was happening was the acting jobs were great, and they were non-stop. But suddenly, I, there was no room for me to direct theatre, whereas I'd always sort of directed a play, if not once a year, once every two years. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, there was, I just had all these fucking films lined up and I couldn't direct <laughs> anything. And um, so, yeah, so I, so I just said to my agent, after this movie that I've got lined up, I'll take a break for two years and I won't act and I'll just direct. And I... <laughs> found to my astonishment I was a lot happier yeah in myself and in work just directing and uh so yeah I pop back every now and again if it's something that really interests me or the money's good Um, (laughs) and um yeah so I did Tinker Tailor Soul Spy yeah yeah I did what else did I do I did the Mona Lisa for it's usually people I really like. I did a summit for Phoebe Waller-Bridge, not Fleabag. She had another thing called Crashing. Oh, yeah, I've just started watching that. So I did a little bit in that for her, paying a very posh aunt. And um, that's the thing, I'm only accepting posh roles now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's great. But it's good, you won't be, like, pigeonholed into... I mean, I guess maybe it goes back to that conversation you're having about... Um, earlier about being more than, you know, what, what you're being pigeonholed as being. But, you know, you're... you're mm. Like a lot of people, I think, would think Lady Windermere's fan wouldn't, they wouldn't picture you directing it, and apparently some reviewers have, have been a bit snooty about that. Yeah, yeah, oh, one guy was brilliant, because I don't read reviews, good, bad, or indifferent, but a friend very nicely texted me and said, there's an appalling review. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I had to read it, and it was sort of great, actually. I, I didn't mind it at all, and I broke my own rule of never reading reviews. And I sort of, I, I really liked it because he hated everything about it, <laughs> everything. 
and was telling, saying, this is wrong, she's got this wrong, she's got that wrong. And I just thought, well, I'm doing something right then. <laughs> because, you know, this is the way I have read this play. That's what a director is. It's your interpretation of a piece. Yeah. So this is my interpretation. And the one thing that went on when we were in that rehearsal room was that we all fell in love with Oscar Wilde, myself included. And I just thought, what a great fucking human being. What a darling man. He loved women. He loved women. He hated injustice. And some people, and all I've done, I've just abridged it. Because it is commercial theatre. I didn't want people sitting there three and a half fucking hours getting bored. <laughs> so I've just cut some repetitiveness. And I've added tiny little things just to help bridge the cuts. And some people think I've added in lines that are Oscar Wilde's lines because they resonate so much, especially with now yeah. and what it says about women and what it says about men. And in the first act, it's all about all men are bad. All men are brutes. You know, you will never, never find a good man. You should expect your husband to have affairs. That's what they do. You know, so it's quite extraordinary. I've been a good girl, though, because I don't believe all men are bad. <laughs> so, our Lord Windermere, I very much wanted that to be him and Lady Windermere are young loves, and they are in love with each other, and they do love each other, and he is a good person, you know? And it's really lovely, because yeah. it comes across like that. And, um, yeah, we just think he's brilliant. Yeah. And what a heart, and... You know. But it's interesting with reviewers like that. If a reviewer tells you how a play is supposed to go, that review or, a, or a, anything's meant to go, you get these with, with comedy as well. It's like, you've got to go and, you know, you want to do that job, but you can't do that job. It's not, if, if someone's saying this is how the play should be, well, go and be a director. You clearly want to be yeah, a director, but yeah. you can't be a director. because I no mean, listen, he's entitled to his opinion, though. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, you know? I've seen things that I've not liked. I'm not like the way they've been done. You know, um, but it's not my job. I'm not a critic, no. you know. Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think critics are sort of necessary because it's all publicity at the end of the day. Yeah. And what you, what you want to do is sell tickets. Yeah. And there's so, been lots of good reviews as well. There's been some, that you won't know about. That I won't know about. I've just, uh, I've just heard that there are, there's enough good things being said that we can put it up <laughs> outside the theatre. And people are coming. And I, I read today that you're, uh, you're doing that thing that happens with plays now where it's filmed and put... Is it going to be live in a cinema one day? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So anyone that's been tweeting me, sort of moaning, I can't get... To, why isn't this touring? Why isn't... It's been so good to be able to say you can see it in the cinemas. I think it's March 20th. Okay. And the website is, it's called Classic Spring, is the, comp you know, the company name that are doing this. Because there's a whole season of Oscar Wilde plays at the Vaudeville, not just mine. And um, ours, I should say. And, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it will be uh, shown on March 20th. Cinemas all around the country. Yeah. Which great. is great. Fantastic. You also directed... Everyone's thinking, yeah, shut up about that now. No, no. <laughs> Tell us about Wayne now. No, we're going to talk, talk about you directing... Uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know you directed this Horn, Horn and Cordon's double act series. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get me coat. <laughs> yeah. No, that was all right, actually. It was a very strange time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought yeah. it might be. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was very odd. <laughs> double um, acts are weird, though, right? And they were sort of slightly—they were sort of slightly thrown together as a double act because they were—they were both in um, the uh, sitcom with about the Kevin and Stace. Kevin and no, Perry. Not Kevin and Stace. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? Kevin and Stacey. Kevin and Stacey. Which was wonderful. That was brilliant. Yeah, it, was. it was brilliant. Yeah. It was wonderful. But it was just a little bit overkill on the boys. I think yeah, yeah. that was all. You know, they were sort of riding the crest of a wave. They were very high on everything. And, um, <laughs> you know, so I got asked to direct their sketch show. <laughs> yeah. Now, from my point of view, I'd been laid up for 18 months because I'd caught a hospital bug when I'd gone into the hospital for an operation. So I caught a bug called C. difficile and it laid me out and it nearly killed me four times. I've been very much boring the arse off Adam Kay talking about it. <laughs> what is worse, James Corden or that disease? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, the thing about James... <laughs> He is a very talented actor. There is no doubt about it. He's a very talented actor. But it was silly for me to do the job. I'd, I'd always said I was never going to direct television. And why all of a sudden I said I'd direct a sketch show? And it was because I'd sort of fallen in love with the boys in, in Gavin and Stacey. And I just thought, well, why not? These are great guys. This would be great. You know, they're brilliant. James is a brilliant writer. This will be great. But we all know sketch shows are notoriously difficult and, um, and just the material just wasn't good. It just wasn't good enough. And, um, but I have to say, you know, I, it was good for me because on a personal level, never mind the poor people that sit home and watch it. <laughs> on a personal level, it sort of got me well again. You know, I was really, really sick um, and I still had a fucking colostomy bag at the time. And I just, it was driving me insane, lying at home, doing nothing. I was going mad. So I was like, yes. Because what had happened was, before I got sick, I was just about to direct a play at the Almeida Theatre in Islington. I'd cast it, got all the design team, and it was uh, the Saturday before I was meant to rehearse on the Monday, start rehearsals, that this pain just completely overwhelmed me. Mm. And I had to go into hospital. And... Um, so I had to drop out of the play and a different director had to stand in for me. And it was like then I became a little bit, mm, we can't touch her because we can't get the insurance. And I have to say, I felt a little bit ignored and blanked by theatre for a long, long time. And it really fucked me off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Hall & Calder basically, they were the only people that approached me to work with them nice. after I was sick. Yeah. So I do thank them for that, you know. Yeah. Um, but the best thing for me that came out of that was the producer on it. It was a guy called Ben Cavey. And he did Psycho Bitches and done loads of great stuff. And he has become a great friend of mine. He also exec produced My Walking and Talking, along with my other darling friend, Pippa Brown, who was like an, a production assistant on Horn and Cauldron. So the great thing for me... And I'm still really good pals with Matt Horn, I have to say. I think he's a thoroughly nice fucking guy. And, um, but Pippa and Ben, I couldn't imagine my life without those dear pals. So, yes, yeah, sorry you had to suffer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I came out of it really well. <laughs> but, it's, but, you know, everything's a... You're taking a chance with anything, right? You never know how anything's going to go. And it, it, what's interesting, I think, is about those, those bridging... Jobs that are a bridge mm. sometimes. That they, you know, not everything's going to work. No. And it's, you know, it's sort of incredible. I mean, and you do have to take a risk, but yeah. I do think those guys took... They took... They were, like, battered for it. I mean, I wasn't on Twitter then. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I weren't interested in social media. So, of course, I didn't really know what was going on on a regular basis for them, which was like the hate was sort of, you know, it was very over the top, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but um, what, what, what can you do, you know? Can't like everybody. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're, in a way, like you've taken a lot of risks in everything you've done and a lot mm. of those things, you know, someone like, I think Gimme, 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 for example, was like a... Like a yeah, have a risk. Well, it was a massive... <laughs> you know, it's like it was a very broad thing and it wasn't, yeah. you know, immediately taken to people, didn't take it to heart immediately. Oh, no, it, but, people hated yeah. it. Take it to heart. They hated it. <laughs> but it's not. They wanted to run us out of town. <laughs> Especially me and James Dreyfus. People were, were, were starting to love me because of Harry Enfield, and they were starting to love James because of the thin blue line. <laughs> Put us both together, they hated us. <laughs> but, but we stuck with it, myself, James, and Jonathan Harvey, the writer. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to be broad with it. It yeah. was myself and James. Don't want to be safe. I wanted to out-dog Wayne Etter. Yeah. That, and I said that about myself and about the characters I play. And I, I, that's the sort of person I wanted to play. Because yeah. I thought it would be really fucking funny. <laughs> and it was. Once people eventually got it, it was really funny. And um, it's so weird now. I get tweets from really young people going, my God, they would never have allowed this now. And I sort of think, was it really that outrageous? <laughs> I mean, I, I never watched it. I don't watch my own stuff. So I can't remember half of it. Um, it's like, was it really that full on? 
But I suppose it was, because we, we, we verbally abused each other in it all the time. Yeah. You know, so things that James's character said to me, you'd never get away with now, and, and vice versa. You know, I called him all the derogatory names for homosexual that you can think of, you know, and it just wouldn't be allowed now. But, God, I loved it. I loved it so much. I just <laughs> loved it. Loved it. I guess it came at sort of a rough at the same time when everything was getting very realistic and, you know, and... and yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean, we were like, you know, it was a bit like we were the Mrs Brown boys of then, <laughs> right. you know, in comparison to everything else. Everything, yeah. it was all when comedy was getting a bit up its own fucking ass, to be quite honest. Yeah. And it was like everyone was congratulating themselves. We're great. Oh, aren't we great? Aren't we intelligent? Oh, it's a new way of doing comedy. And I'm just sat there going, I just want to make people laugh that work in a pub every night. Yeah. I don't give a shit about you doing your, is it this, you know, this is the way to do comedy. Nobody laughing. That's what we'll do, you know? And I think there's a place for everything. There is. Yeah. And I sort of felt, well, there's a place for Gimme, 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 and now for, there's a place for Mrs. Brown's Boys. It's, that show is hugely successful for a reason because people fucking tuned in and watch it, yeah. you know? And uh, I, I, I just don't like snobbery in any form. No, well, you know? I think, you know, I think that's... I mean, for me as well, the older I get, the more I just... Um, you know, it's impressive that any, anyone gets anything on TV, that's impressive yeah, to me, because it's, it's so God. difficult to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, you've got to kind of respect the craft in, in nearly everything. Not quite everything, but nearly, yeah. everything. <laughs> nearly everything. And, you know, yeah, if, if something's popular, if something's making people laugh, that is the job. Yeah. I think and with actually, comedy, it's got to make well, people James laugh. Well, James and I sort of decided not to do Gimme Gimme anymore because they sort of started, they wanted to soften it. We wanted to get more outrageous. We wanted to break the fourth more wall. Uh, wall more. Uh, wall, more wall. Um, but yeah, you know, what he does in Father... Uh, Mrs Brown. Father Brown, what the fuck? Um, Mrs Brown, boys. Um, you know, and Miranda did it, looking down the lens. We wanted to do that 15 fucking years ago. And they were all too frightened of it. So it was really frustrating for me and James. And I'll never forget the day we were sat there and we were rehearsing on the set and uh, my character was going around dusting. So we're doing a camera rehearsal, you know? No audience is there. Dusting, dusting, dusting. So I pulled down the boom mic, gave that a dust, threw that up. So that was fun, you know? All the crew laughed, James laughed. James said she should do that in the, in the show yeah. because we were slightly breaking the fourth wall here in there. Oh, no, 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 that's too much, too much. And James just went to me, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And I went, neither do I. And that was it. And that, <laughs> right. was, that was the last series. Wow. Yeah, we did Millennium. Yeah. The, yeah, I think that was the special. I can't remember what order it all went in. <laughs> but yeah, we, you know, it was just a bit, it was just getting a bit frustrating. Yeah. So. I think it's, well, it's good to end things on your own terms as well. They should have let you do that boom, didn't they? They should have been still doing still it doing now. It now. <laughs> Every fucking week. <laughs> I see. Hated it. I hated it. The more it went on, though, the more people would have really. If it had gone on every week for 15 years, <laughs> imagine how much how funny it would have been by the end. Even if you hated it by the end, if you're yeah. forced to watch, everyone has to watch. You it. have to watch. It <laughs> and by the end of it, everyone would love it. I can guarantee you that. Oh. Uh, and I, all I can remember about the film Elizabeth is you in the film. I can't. Remember, I love that film. But you were incredible in that as Mary, Mary the First, right? Yes. Is that what I did? Yes. <laughs> it's confu I, I did history and I always get confused between Mary the First and Mary the Queen of Scots. Scots. Yeah. No, no, no. She was you the were the, I was a Catholic one, Yeah, you were, I was yeah. a Catholic. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Yeah. That wasn't really that much fun. I can't even do. remember who played Elizabeth in it now. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> you know. Kate Blanchett. Well, she's, yeah. she's all right. She's all right. She's not done too I wouldn't bad. have her on this, Cathy. No. <laughs> she, she, came, she came knocking down the door. You're listening, Kate Blanchett. She was Sling great. Your hook. She, she was so young yeah, yeah. when she did that film, mate. I tell you, she was so young. Incredible. Yeah. But I've never seen it. I don't watch films I'm in. So. But I know she was incredible, just sort of watching her on the monitor and stuff, you yeah. know. Um, but apparently it was a great film, so that's good. It was, it was very, it was very good. Um, I'll ask you a couple of emergency, I have emergency questions, but you've, you know, oh, it, yeah, seems, it seems a shame to, it seems a shame. warned me about this. It seems a shame to uh, ask you emergency questions, but, because it's been good, but. 
Oh, what, are these bad, then? Yeah, they're bad. <laughs> uh, this is a bad one. This is question 251, if you're following at home. I've never asked anyone this question. You've got booklets, sir. Have I had uh, my back to people? <laughs> you have. There's people over Very there, I'm rude. so sorry. Fucking hell. Sorry. It's a bad question. This, this I just is... can't see anything. You don't have to answer this. Would you rather have a clitoris in the crook between your thumb and finger or, or have a bionic nose? It's a rubbish question. <laughs> I was halfway through. Rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. have a clit. Yeah, it was obviously. I'd rather. What's a bionic nose going to do? <laughs> Smell things a long way away. That's... <laughs> That's a bad thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, which is the sexiest TV puppet? Animal. Yeah, animal's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, no, I won't ask you that one. Have, have some respect. Have some respect, Richard Herring. Well, you've just asked me if I wanted to... A... I know. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Right, OK. Question 368, don't think I've asked anyone this one before, I don't remember writing it. <laughs> Would you rather be an orchestra that has been assimilated by the Borg and endlessly plays only orchestral versions of Mel and Kim songs? Kim. <laughs> Mel and Kim. Do you remember Mel and Kim? Respectable. Oh, they never want to be. I think one of them yeah. uh, died. It's a very poor taste question. <laughs> or a cart horse that has, pulled, has to pull a cart full of the corpses of all your cart horse friends around all day long. <laughs> but is otherwise treated well and gets Sunday off. I mean, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that question's based on the fact that orchestra and cart horse are anagrams of each other. Oh, really? That, that's, that's all that's about. <laughs> yeah, orchestra. Don't, don't, yeah, I think so. Don't delve into it. I'll, I'll go to the low numbers when I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask you, we'll ask you, this hasn't been asked for a long time. Would you rather have a hand made out of ham or, or an armpit that dispenses sun cream. There you go. That's, I missed that's, it, I missed it. A hand made out of ham, it regenerates. If you eat it, it'll grow back. Right. Or an armpit that dispenses sun cream as a, an individual use. You can't get enough to manufacture and sell. But you have as much sun cream for you and your friends as you need. Well, I don't eat meat. Right. I've not eaten meat since I was 18. Okay. So that's out the window. So I'll have the sun cream, okay. even though I don't sit in the sun. That's very good. Why did you all like that question? <laughs> <laughs> it's like an old friend. Is it? It's like if they'd done gimme, gimme, gimme every year for 15 years. <laughs> if I'd asked that question every single time, um, uh -huh. it, it would be a Who would you rather act with, Harry Enfield or Gary Oldman? Who is the best person to attack? <laughs> it's Gary Oldman, obviously. <laughs> well... They're both, you know what I mean, hard work in their own fucking <laughs> <laughs> But he's a genius, Gary. Yeah. He's an absolute genius. And, and in a way, sort of, so is Harry. But I really... <laughs> <laughs> I really loved work. Well, well, with Gary, I mainly worked with him, him directing me. You know, yeah. that was the longest period of time I worked with him. And he was one of the best directors I've ever worked with. And Harry's just fucking brilliant, mate. He's yeah. just brilliant. He's just great. So, and Gary's great. I love them both, equally. Paul Whitehouse. Yeah, Paul Whitehouse is... <laughs> Paul Whitehouse was the real genius in that show. That was... It was amazing. No, it was a, it was, I, used to, I used to absolutely love that show, the Harry Enfield and Chums. It was good fun. It was a very, very, very I'm fun spitting show. spitting a lot. I think I need to go to the dentist. I think I saw it going on. Keep spitting. <laughs> Sorry, mate. You're, yeah. You'll be glad you missed that. You're yeah. glad you're lucky in facing this one. Then, because a lot of spray here. I can't leave it at that, but I was, you know, we're coming to the end now. But you know, I don't think we can end it on uh, spitting. It's, a, it's very punk. So there's only Lady Windermere's fan. Yeah. Is, the, uh, is there any spitting in Lady Windermere's fan? Is there at the Vaudeville Theatre? Uh, See, this has got its ending because I can't talk. To you. <laughs> I'm usually in bed now, and. Um, until the 7th of April, thank you very much. And what are you going to be doing next? Are you moved on to your next project already? I'm right? reading scripts, darling. I am just sifting through a pile. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just reading scripts. There might be something I might be doing that might be quite interesting. 
For me, not for you. <laughs> but, um, but that's not all sort of set in stone yet, or green litters, they say. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, watch this space. But it's directing that I really love. So please don't have a go at me for not acting anymore. Everyone always has a go at me. But I want to do what I love. I want to be happy in my life. <laughs> I haven't got long. So just leave me be. And be happy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I hope you're not long. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Kathy Burke. Kathy Burke. You have been listening to Rich Change Let's Spare Theatre Podcast with me, Rich Kane, and my guest, Kathy Burke. The music we're currently listening to, listen to it. Mm, it's nice. It's, uh, it's by Pest. Uh, I don't know if they know we're using it. Uh, it's, thank you to everyone at Let's Spare Theatre. Thank you to everyone at Go Faster Strike. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide, especially Orange Mark. We owe you some orange juice, Mark. Uh, and uh, maybe this is produced by Ben Walker in Sky Potato, Garu, Faster Strike and Fuzz Production and it goes out on the internet. Thank you for listening. Yo, yo, thanks for listening to the podcast. Sorry to video people that it was audio only, but that was Kathy's preference. Uh, you missed out on quite a few rather spectacular facial gestures that... Uh, helped the audience read between the lines as to what uh, she was thinking but you might be able to pick that up anyway just from the laughter Um, really enjoyed that uh, and it's great to be back Uh, next week's podcast I have a feeling will also be excellent I don't know how I know that at this early stage Uh, that will be back on video uh, and still on audio if you're listening at home Um, do support us if you can Buy some beer, well, get some free beer if you like. Uh, also, you can, of course, become a dripster, d.rip slash Richard hyphen herring or a monthly badger, gofasterstripe.com slash badges. That money will help us make more podcasts. We haven't got enough to make all the podcasts this year yet, but it'd be lovely if more people gave. But remember, I am also on tour. Uh, I go to richherring.com slash gigs or richherring.com slash ofrig slash tour. You can see if I'm coming to a place near you. Uh, on Thursday, I will be in Chorley. There's a couple of tickets left for that. If you're very quick, it's pretty much sold out. Friday, I'm in Leicester, and it's the Leicester Comedy Festival. There's lots of competition, and there are lots of tickets left. So it would love to see you in Leicester. Coming up the week after that, Norwich, which is sold out, and Cambridge, which is nearly sold out. So it's worth booking ahead. Go and check out all the venues I'm coming to, St Albans, all sorts of places coming up i'm in london on may the 4th at the queen elizabeth hall where we will be recording the dvd and that's got a 900 seat theater so there are still some tickets left for that but it'd be terrific if we could at least even half fill it and also uh, i'm coming to cardiff uh soon and uh, because it's sold well we were going to be in the bar but we've been moved up to the big room in st david's hall so if you're in cardiff i would love it if you could come along and make this massive room feel a bit less massive by filling it with your bottom i mean just one bit of it with your bottom but your bottoms your welsh bottoms all together anyway go to richherring.com slash gigs or richherring.com slash ofrig slash tour uh, and you can see where i'm coming uh as long as the tour does well i i can afford to carry on doing the podcast and give them out for free that's the deal my friends anyway see you next week adam k he's a very funny man bye <laughs>